Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra site is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. 
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I am your host, Jeff Vance. Now, this podcast is going to be epic. The reason being is that we have some, we have a couple learning moments here that we're going to discuss here, but we're actually going to start off this conversation with talking about Kayla and the R100, and we're going to bring in Dave, and we got uh, Jeremiah, and we got Tyson. We're going to be talking about the dust-off project. It is just going to be insane. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to, we're, we're going to talk about Kayla because she dominated the last R100 here in Iowa here a few weeks ago. And she also has a teachable moment too as well. But I think I'm going to let her embarrass herself for it. But oh, I, I want this to be a learning experience for those who are listening, but also an inspiration because what Tyson has done for Kayla to get her out of her shell, to, to be opening up and introducing herself to all these new people, but getting her outside of her comfort zone is, is remarkable because – you run into a scenario where you get comfortable, you you, don't, you get shy, and then all of a sudden you get pu- pushed into these awkward moments, and you just twi- and she seemed to be constantly excelling, hitting the mark, going above and beyond. And as a mother, as a fiance, she's just crushing it. So, Kayla, how you doing? Doing good. Thanks for awesome. having me back. You're very welcome. I want. I was telling Tyson that you are my number two downloaded podcast, which is pretty really impressive. Not sure how that's happening, but... You know, I was on fire for a period of time during March and stuff like that, and it's like you you said the right words and all of a sudden took off, but I think it was from the cross-promotion that you and I both collaborated between the Dustoff Project, uh, Sticks and Stones, my podcast pages. It really kind of puts you on the map. Yeah, and I also think it helps that when I started my journey, I always said I was going to be open and honest about my write-ups and how exactly how my day went and since then I have done just that even the embarrassing moments I don't want to talk about that is true because especially when you dry fire your bow the yeah. week of you got you buying a getting a brand new one that was pretty hilarious when I heard that come through the, tri- the, the grapevine it really wasn't that hilarious Anyone <laughs> else thought so obviously so tell us about the r100 well that was my second time shooting my brand new bow when I dry fired my bow, that was two weeks before the R100, and it was my first time shooting with my new Expedi- Expedition FLX, which is completely custom made because I have short draw. So from the very start, that bow was a custom from the paint job to the mini cams to everything. So when I went to the R100, I wasn't expecting to shoot as good as I did. Like I said, two weeks before, I dry fired the bow. Luckily, Mm -hmm. it was fine. So when I was at the R100, I wasn't expecting to shoot as well as I did. We had all three girls with us. And typically when they're with us, I am distracted with them. But they were all doing their own thing, shooting well, and we were just all having a good time. 
and there was a couple of weeks before that things were falling in place for my life. I got a new job, you know, it was just things were falling in place. So my headspace was clear that day. I was, wasn't worrying about life. I was just focused on shooting and next thing I know I'm getting these 12s and 10s and not getting any fives or missing anything and I went to turn in my scorecard for we started on the North American side yeah North American side and I realized I was only three points away from the number one spot wow yeah and I shot the best I've ever shot I believe it was a 482 that I shot which I mean at that point I've I've only been shooting a year so the fact that I shot a 42 was just mind-blowing to, to me. I mean, I didn't think I did that well. And then when I I was in the women's opens class, which is one of the harder ones because they're typically farther away, and I did well. I got second place for that one. Then the next day we went and shot the African safari side. I shot a 483, and that put me in first place for the women's on that side. And then overall, I was first place for the women's. Wow. So when you hit those those 400 numbers, how many targets is that? There's 100 on each side. Wow, that's 100. Or 50 on each 50 side. On each yep, side. So, so 100 total, 100. total. Wow, that's a lot of shooting. That's a lot of shooting. It was a lot of shooting. And the week before, I hadn't shot at all. And then the last time I shot was two weeks ago two weeks prior to that at the HHJ Mission 17 shot where I just, it was terrible. It was probably the worst I ever shot. So going from the worst I ever shot to the best I ever shot was a big deal for me. That's, that's you know, you, you just, you, you set your bar low and then you just, just crushed the next time. It's, it's amazing how it all works out because when I shot the, the Mission 17, I shot like garbage, and then today I'm hitting 12s, I'm stitching to 14s, I'm doing 10s, and I was just on the money. I just, I could, I just the everything just kind of came together. Like you mentioned earlier, the clarity yeah. is what is a is a is a is a, is a a moment in time where it's like it's just amazing how everything comes together. And it's like when you're a parent and you're your spouse, it's like you have all these different things going on. You have multiple burners going on in your head, and having everything just kind of. Yeah, and I I was still thinking about Mission 17 when I went to the R100, and I was like, oh, great. I'm, you know, I'm not going to be very good today. I'm still in my head about that. But when I got there, I just told myself I'm going to let it all go and just focus on today because that was two weeks ago. It's not today. And then everything just fell into place. And, I mean, one of our good friends were there, Chantel, and she's an excellent shooter. And the fact that I beat her was even awesome now wasn't Chantel at uh the uh um uh, Iowa Deer Classic wasn't she at the expedition booth yeah um the one you're probably thinking of is Amanda though our other expedition friend oh okay but Chantel was there Sunday and she shot spots okay so you might have met her too but could have been in passing because it's like there was a lot of things going on though that over that that course that day yeah so there's Three of us females that shoot out of Sticks and Stones Archery, which is Chantel, Amanda, and myself. Okay. So then, now, are these, are these, would they be considered pro staff? Or? Yep. So all three of us are actually on the expedition pro staff as well. 
Very cool. So for those that are looking for looking to actually, they feel like their game, they're confident in their game to be actually a approach a company to to, to participate in their pro staff. What are some of the steps to to get to get your foot in the door and talk to Kurt or talk to Tyson or something like that? To be honest with you, I don't know those steps. I mean, Tyson's kind of got all three of us on the expedition pro staff, and mine was kind of a different situation. Um, Tyson went to expedition with me, who's never shot before, never touched a bow, and was like, hey, what do you think about documenting her journey? And they're like, okay. Chantel and Amanda, they've shot. Um, Amanda's been shooting since she was young. I don't know how long Chantel's shot, but... yeah. So I think it all just is different for each person and timing and luck yeah. essentially what it comes down to and having that door open up to you. Like I got a chance to sit down and pick Johnny Utah's brain for 90 <laughs> minutes. And I mean, that was just pretty epic. I mean, we had a very powerful conversation. We talked about life, death, um, going through PTSD, how we handled it and how we learned from it and books that we read. So it's just a, it's just funny how things like that just kind of work out, and then like we all have a common denominator, Mr. Chris Ham. So we've all kind of evolved in this 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 spiderweb that just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, and I mean to be honest with you, at first I was totally against it because I'm a very private person, and to be the pro staff, you have to talk to people, you have to talk about expedition, you have to talk about your bows, you know, you have to open up to people. And I'm most of the time one of the people that likes to sit in the passenger seat. Someone else can drive. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to this, I have to talk. I have to be open and honest with people. And I have to share my life. Mm -hmm. So it's been a good thing. But it's also still very nerve-wracking. And, I mean, take three weeks ago at Mission 17, I did not want to share my score. I did not want to admit that I fired, dry fired my bow again especially my brand new one, but yeah. it's what I'm supposed to do now. So I do it. Yeah. And I mean, even some of the guys that day were like, we wouldn't admit that we did that. Okay. Yeah. So here I am telling people everything that I did wrong. Oh yeah. And there's been times too where I've almost drive fired my ball. Like last year when I first met you guys, I almost drive fired my ball. I was like, I was about ready to go there. I think it was Tyson or somebody else told me, uh, up, 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 up. you yeah. know, it's like, well, good thing I know a guy. <laughs> and I mean, it happens. It's just another teaching moment, but yeah. 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 It's, it's just, it's just how it all happens. The best part was you weren't severely injured. Everything was, was replaced and that's the upside. Yeah. I mean, that's one good thing about my bows is I do only shoot from 50 to 55 pounds. So it's, not too heavy to whereas some of these guys who shoot 70 pounds and dry fires will absolutely destroy your bows. Oh, yeah. But luckily, my expeditions have been able to hold up against my dry fires, so. But then again, it's like I've, I've had a chance to sit down with Kurt and tour this thing, and the amount of testing that they put through yeah. their bows and stuff like that, that's why I switched to expedition, and Alicia was telling me that she wants to get a new bow, so apparently I'm going to be getting a new bow. So it looks like Tyson and I will be swinging by and putting something together. Yeah, and she said you needed to get a new one for Sophia, so. Yeah, I know, right? I, I guess Sophia had a really good time this weekend because this was actually her first archery shoot ever. And so when we were walking her through the course and stuff like that, we were trying to encourage her, not overwhelm her, just kind of work on her stance and, and her drawing technique and going from there, just basic stuff. And our whole thing was giving her excitement and giving her praise because we wanted her to 
feel like she's welcome and she's part yeah. of the whole process. Because then if she wants to come to another one, that's even better because now she can see what kind of family we have. Yeah, and that's one thing I like about these mission shoots is that every single time you come, there's someone new. And the Tomo one, like Chris said, it's kind of like our family get together every year. We mm-hmm. go and everyone's there and we all have a good time. We all get along and talk and we even talk crap about each other, but we know it's all fun and games and yeah. no one gets mad. Everyone's just having a great time and it's just a great fellowship for everyone. Right. And then today, Flugi asked me to come up with him in September to do their bear camp and just sit up there and record a podcast. Like, this is going to be a laugh factor. This is going to be hilarious. Everything's a laugh factor with Mike. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> oh, man. He, he's, he just, he's got that time. He is a professional comedian. But yeah. he's, he's, like, he's just got everything put together. So that was really cool that he invited me to do that because I've, I've never been part of a bear camp before. But it's like I'm still waiting to get drawn. So it's one of those things where just kind of be patient. Yeah, it seems like every time we come to one of these, someone's getting some new experience out of it and getting a new opportunity. So it's it's always a great time. Oh, yeah, that's the best part. And then our other guests, we have Dave and we have Jeremiah. And those guys drove all the way to Indiana, which is just remarkable. They, they put the discipline forward to make it happen because gas prices are pretty expensive. Yeah, and Dave kind of pulled a Kayla today and dry fired his boat, too. <laughs> yes, it's... I mean, it does leave a pretty nasty, uh, it's not nasty. I'm actually thinking about getting a tattooed so I never forget <laughs> to put an, an arrow, arrow in the knot. Like, to, to, to make sure you knock it. Yeah, knock it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. This video, it's it's quite, uh, it was an epic, epic adventure on that shoot. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. My dry fire video, too, and I shoot these bright yellow arrows, and I'm not quite sure how Tyson missed a bright yellow arrow on my bow. Yeah, I blame the video guy. That's yeah, because, like, me too. You watched this happen. Yeah, you yeah. could have stopped me. But and no, you, told me, you just no, let you told me, me shoot. Ain't my bow. <laughs> <laughs> but you not were the bow, one that got him the Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I felt, uh, man, I felt. Uh, be honest, like I, I felt like I let everybody down. You know what I mean? Like people put a lot of work, and and I recognized that. Like I, I felt I was like, man, that was a call them dumb dick moves. I put one in ba- about on a daily basis. I'll put in a dumb dick move. <laughs> you know, and well, one, I, I admit one for lock and key, like this is going in the book for today. This is the big one. Like I do, mo- I do a lot. I've enlisted, you know, I mean, come on. The E4 Mafia, I am the godfather. You know, that's <laughs> what it is. See, I felt the same way because like I said before, my FLX is a hundred percent custom. And so when I dry fired that bow, I I know what can happen when you dry fire a bow. So I handed it to Tyson. I was like trying to hold back the tears because I was afraid I just broke a very expensive bow. Yeah, and I felt the same way. Like I was like, man, this guy just did, I mean, gave me this opportunity. I mean, mm-hmm. handed it to me. And, you know, I told myself, I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself. I was like, this is why you can't have nice shit. <laughs> This is why, right here. This is why you don't have anything nice because you, you fuck it up. You yep. fuck it. You his like, his entire demeanor changed <laughs> instantly. He turned around and looked at me, and I said, "Did your arrow go down range?" And he was like, uh, "I don't know." And I looked at his quiver, and I said, "No, there's all your arrows in the quiver." And he was like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh man." 
And everything changed. Like he, he went from being happy, having a great time to just silent. It gets in your head and it messes with you. I was able to shoot my bow right after it just derailed the string and Tyson was able to take it to our mobile shop and get it fixed. But then it's in your head for the rest of the day and it messes with you. Oh yeah. I call that, we call that head trash. Like it just floats around. So I was, I mean, I was bummed and I followed Jeremiah around like a lost dog, like, (laughs) Because he, like, he, not that, he had an extra bow, and he was talking about sighting it, and I was like, man, like, hope, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Like, I was, I was done for the weekend. I was like, yeah, don't fuck this up. Yeah. And so, he sighted it in, we went down, and the long range finally cleared off, and we got, he put in a 20, a 30, and a 40, and handed it to me. I was like, oh, fuck, oh, we got to pay them, by the way. Oh. What? And then pay for their scramble. <laughs> I gave the money back, though. Not that we're even, but I'm still going to put my money in. But anyways. Um, Side note, they haven't paid yet. Chris, do you hear that? <laughs> well, the guy was supposed to get, I was going to get the money. He was like, no, just get it get with us after. And then they, run, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he lent me his extra bow, which was, I mean. He's my no, nobody would. Yeah, nobody would have really. I mean, he's my cousin. Not that he was obligated to, but I mean, I did do pretty well for. I guess. I mean, I won. I got in the money. I was yeah. in the top eleven or whatever it was, well, nine, ten or whatever it was. Yeah. Second in the losers bracket. That's fine. I'm fine with that. We were talking about that baby. on the way home. He goes. He just got this dust off bow, and look at him. He's winning now. <laughs> and how can you shoot with the AJK? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that bow was pretty smooth. I mean, it was silky. Like, I, I enjoyed shooting it. I don't know what who makes it. I mean, I know you guys talked about it, and it's a nice bow. But uh, And it wasn't even the guys I was shooting with. I was shooting with Chris and a couple other gentlemen. And uh, they were, you know, it's not fit for me, sighted for me, nothing. And I've, they're like, oh, you know, you're shooting high. It's like, yeah, I'll get it worked out eventually. Like, I just got to figure out, you know, Jeremiah's, you know, he's relatively short. And so I just can't bend my arm. I can't push my arm out. I got to put a bend in it. I think we're going to start calling that like Indiana windage or something instead of the <laughs> Kentucky windage. <laughs> uh, I'm down for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm thinking. This one we call this episode is Indiana windage. Indiana windage. I like, I like that. Yeah. I like it's that. It's got a good ring to it. Exactly. So this way when somebody looks through it, it's like, what does this mean? So got to listen to it. Yeah, kind of like who's your state, baby. Woo. Yeah. Go Irish. Like, this kind of reminds me when I sat down with Travis Reichstead for the first time at the R100 in Sparta here a couple of years ago. He talked about arrow puller, and you have to watch the episode or listen to the episode to understand what it means because it's a hilarious story because he, he – yeah, I'm not going to talk about it because it's, it's, just, it's just too funny because I'm not going to do it do it justice. Yeah, no, I was just, I'm grateful for this opportunity today, really. I mean, uh, it's been a long time since I shot a bow, and I've never, ever competed uh, in any, I think I've shot a handful of 3D targets in my life. And uh, it's like, I had a, I had a blast. I can't wait till tomorrow. Like, I can't, this is something I can, I can see getting into. It, it is a lot of fun. And I want, I want Tyson to, to give us a little <clears throat> story behind the bow and, and give a refresher to the dust-off project. Okay, so for anybody that's new to the podcast or maybe the first time you've heard us been on, so I run and Kayla assists me now, I guess, with the dust-off projects. She's yelling at me already. 
<laughs> I didn't even get finished. She she assists. She does a lot of the Facebook postings and stuff for the dust off project uh, updates, and then also for our shop, Sticks and Stones Archery. She she runs the internet for us basically now because I'm incapable, and she does a much better job. But so she's kind of taken over all the content and media stuff for us. Um, but basically, the dust off project is we get bows and archery equipment and sometimes other outdoor gear donated to us um and then we make sure it's good to go um in good physical condition and shootable um chris donates an hha site for every bow we give away and we get that into the hands of a deserving veteran or law enforcement or first responder firefighter corrections officers anybody you know, I'd have a hard time not giving one to a doctor or a nurse at this point if they fit the criteria of being in need or new to the sport and uh, just giving back to the people that serve. Um, so that's our way of thanking them for their service and or their continued service. Um, and it's a way to keep them active in the outdoors and, and like events like this, these HHA shoots are, you know, other bow shoots that are veteran based or, you know, law enforcement based or whatever, um, to meet like-minded people like them that may be suffering with PTSD, uh, if they may have it, or that's not a requirement. You're not required to have a physical injury or PTSD to, to qualify for the dust off project, but it seems that those are the types of people that gravitate towards us. Somebody in need that needs a release, uh, needs something to a hobby, something to do. Um, and these HHA shoots are a great way to, for us to meet them. Like these guys came up from Indiana. This wasn't, this was literally planned out like a week ago, maybe. Um, we'll get on that, back to that. But it's meet with like-minded people, you know, and cut it up, have a good time, no pressure, relaxed. You know, you're, you know, especially for us military guys, you're with the type of people you serve with. Um, and we all have a common bond of, you know, wanting to be in the outdoors and shoot bows. So it's, it's a good campfire moment, I guess. Gather around and break bread with your friends or break your bows or break <laughs> arrows, whatever. Forever. So, um, yeah, so that's the basic of the Dust Off Project. Um, how I got them at these two yahoos is completely different. Um, Jeremiah had reached out to me weeks ago. It was a uh, while ago. About a, about a month ago. Yeah, yeah. and... I don't even know how you heard of me, so maybe we'll Chris. talk about that through Chris. I'm, yeah. I say somebody routed you to me. Chris has been doing a lot of them, but at one point, Jeremiah, uh, he's actually with the Fallen Outdoors, another veteran-based uh, outdoor group, hunting yes. and fishing, I believe. Yes. Um, yes. I don't really fishing, know much about them, so we're, we might have to dive into that a little bit, too. Yeah, he's given me a little bit of, of uh, details on it, but this would be a good opportunity for others to hear more about it because it's, yeah. it's quite a remarkable group yeah. and how fast it's grown to all throughout the states. So apparently him and Chris were in contact, um, and then Jeremiah contacted me and said, hey, I got this guy that's looking for a bow. What can you do? Um, and we talked several times. I, to be honest, I, I'm busy. I forgot. You know, so he kept bugging me, which is if you're listening and you're in need, just keep bugging me. It'll happen. Um, we're just ex extremely busy with regular civilian jobs plus the bow shop plus kids' activities and it the never ending running of life and trying to balance everything. But, um, so he hit me up a few times and I was, I was going to, Hey, I'll send one to you. 
I forgot again. I dug through my stuff, had a bow set aside. You know, when we finally got it worked out that, hey, I got this one, and then he told me, hey, we're coming up to the chute. Perfect. I'll just bring it. It'll save us the shipping. We're both going to the same destination. Then I can actually finish his final setup for a peep site and help him get it sighted in, which we did. Um, temporarily pro. apparently <laughs> pro uh, well, i mean it but, was professionally done yeah till it wasn't you know yeah <laughs> that's the theme of the day is everything was great until it wasn't um but yeah so we met up with them early this morning did a did a presentation that chase nation actually recorded that for us um chris was there um it it made it to our facebook page already from kayla recorded it too and threw it up on the the dust off project Facebook page and the sticks and stones page. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's all, I, and I send bows all over for veterans uh, through the mail or UPS, but it, it's awesome when I get to do it in person and present them and actually meet them and shake their hands. And, uh, Dave just kept on to tell stories. So I had to remind him like, Hey, we're going to do this podcast tonight and we're going to talk, quit telling me stories. Cause we want to save something for tonight, you know? <laughs> so, so we were, you know, laughing about that, but I, I really didn't know anything about him other than he met the criteria to receive a bow. Um, so we made that happen this morning. Um, the bow he got was a Bowtech Admiral it was actually donated by a customer that came to me and bought a new bow. He, he didn't know what to do with his other one. He was thinking about selling it and he's like, I don't really want to do the hassle. You know, and he knew I'd do the dust off project thing. So, you know, hey, take this, give it to a veteran. Perfect. Works out great. Um, really nice bow, really good condition until it wasn't. Um, but, yeah, so it's a teachable moment. I probably forgot to tell him don't ever, ever shoot this without an arrow on it because I normally do that with everybody that comes in and out of the shop and, and dust off project recipients. And then he was talking so much i probably just didn't tell him it also didn't help that you told me it was going to be new strings so oh yeah that too is yeah uh that is true the bow overall is good shape it it was in need of a new string sooner or later he just made it happen sooner <laughs> so um but yeah it happens i mean it's it's something to be embarrassed about i'm not going to say it's not but it happens it's a mistake uh and has bow survived other than needing a string. So, um, but yeah, it's a real solid bow, good quality. So we weren't, I wasn't too concerned about it. Um, but yeah, so the nice part is he'll get to meet one of his local archery shop guys to get that going and they can build that relationship, which was part of the reason why we do the dust off project too. And I'm fine with sending bows out to, uh, other people, you know, go meet your local archery guys. Cause those are the guys you're going to see more often than people like me and Kayla. And, you know, your chances are you're not always going to travel to these shoots where we're at because you live on, you know, the complete opposite side of the, the country or whatever. So it's, I mean, obviously I love having business in my shop, but it's also a way for these guys to connect to other people in their area and build those relationships for people that can assist them directly too. So, Perfect example, he's going to meet his local bow shop guy and get a new string going on that bad boy. Oh, yeah. So, Real soon. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I guess uh, normally for these, we, for our Facebook pages, we'll ask, the, you know, their bio, um, you know, their military histories, what they do or did, and if they're still involved with the veteran community. Um, so, yeah, this is actually our first time doing one 
on a broadcast of any sort because normally it's a handwritten thing that they send us and then we we plug it into the Facebook page. Yeah, so this is kind of a, a cool new experience for us to actually get to sit down with him and get his initial take on how awesome his bow was until it wasn't and uh, apparently learn about some Indiana windage and Jeremiah have us talk about the, the falling outdoors some and yeah, pretty cool to actually get to sit down and hear the stories firsthand. Yeah. So, so Dave, what's, give us your first impression, how everything transpi- transpired and everything like that. We mean as far as today, the events yeah, of today? How, yeah, because today's just been a whirlwind for you. Yeah, it's been a, uh, it's been an experience. The, um, the opportunity was a, a crazy, you know, kind of a crazy story. Um, I was with the Fallen Outdoors as a pro staff for a while and, um, I don't know, just didn't have time. You know, the family and the never-ending life events that continuously go, and I had to, something had to go and make room for it. And it, unfortunately, you know, that was one of the ones that I could afford to kind of put on the back burner, although I still stayed involved whenever uh, Jeremiah would need me, any assistance or anything. I mean, I was, I'm always there. I just don't have a lot of time to dedicate to that. But, um you know, this opportunity was given, and I accepted, and it was uh, it was special, man. Like, I, I really, it was, uh, you know, the, the relationship that veterans have with never meeting, just being a veteran and walking up to another veteran, it's, as long as you're not, like, a douchebag, you know what I mean? Like, you're pretty, you're cool, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, seriously, I mean, you spot them a mile away sometimes. But everybody's a douchebag in their own little little way. But, um, yeah, it was – I was a little nervous, to be honest with you, because I'd never really done anything like this. So, first-time deal. And I had had experiences with bows in the past, and I always hear never dry fire a bow. And, you know, I, I got uh, – Tyson set it up put me spot on right where I needed to be. And it was just fine tuning from there. He left it up to us. Me and Jeremiah went out and we shot, you know, quite a bit. And, uh, I was really getting comfortable and figuring out, you know, what the actual sport is. And we were just going out for kill shots. You know, like I didn't really know that, you know, they, there were circles and there were different, there was a point system. Like, that. you know, he's going on a hunt in Colorado. He'll talk about that, you know, but we're just, you know, Caught, we were just stacking bodies. That's what we were talking about. We were just stacking them up as we went. And most of the time, the 12 shots aren't even on the kill shots in real life. I learned that quickly. Yeah, I've not, yeah. So, I don't know, just, it was, uh, we were talking. We were having a good time. Kind of, uh, we met up with some veterans during that time, and uh, we just kind of made our own little course inside of that course. Like, we would the yellow stakes that were there to shoot from, we would maybe, you know, go beyond that a little bit. And yeah, 30, 40 yards beyond that and send them. And we were just having a good time. And so we were doing the same thing kind of out on our own right before the uh, afternoon, like lunchtime happened, a little break there. And, uh, you know, the shot was from the knees through the truck door into the turkey and, Jeremiah had shot, and I had been shooting really well. Like, I, I'd, I don't know, starting to feel it, you know, if you wanted to say that. Like, I was feeling comfortable. 
and I just got complacent and we were talking and I pulled back and it felt good and everything was, I mean, it felt so right because there was no arrow to weigh it down. (laughs) And the slap on my arm, I knew, like I, I knew at that moment I had fucked up. Like I had done something or, you know, maybe the string broke. He said it was, you know, maybe time sooner or later. I don't know. But so Jeremiah, so I'd I'd also, I was given six arrows with this bow and, you know, I just got the bow, you know, sighted in and no more than 15 minutes later, I'm at the long shot sending 70 yarders. I lose an arrow. So now I'm down to five. And I shoot one into a tree, kind of gets bent a little bit, doesn't fly straight. So now I'm down to four. Okay. <laughs> and so Jeremiah's like, "What well, did it leave? Did did it? Where's it at? Where's the arrow?" And he's like, "Well, they're right here." And I look over, and there are one, two, three, four arrows still in the quiver. And I just, oh man, like deflated, gone, just dumb dick move, you know. But um, I, I had a great time. Like, I I, I was. The whole experience has been a very uh, surreal, I guess, because I, I do this for a lot of veterans. Like I, I don't know how many veterans I've put on trips. I don't keep count, or you know, I don't know what the fallen does. Like I'm in the background helping out a lot, and I don't, I don't take advantage of it, type thing, just because I don't know. It's for somebody else. Like I'm a veteran, but I'm also helping. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be in the group and also take advantage of the group stuff, you know, because it's not, I don't know, just kind of weird, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I think, like, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. No, don't mind me. Let me interrupt. Uh, yeah, the, it's that, that feeling of service. Like, we're never disconnected from service. So, like, you always, like, veterans helping, I say this quite a bit, veterans helping veterans. You know, we're we're our own first line defense on taking care of each other because we understand situations that we've been through and deployments and, you know, being away from friends and family. There's that bond, that connection that makes you want to help other veterans be successful. So don't mind the background noise, but uh cute kids um so yeah so there's there's that always that and it's not the same for everybody but you you can tell the veterans that get involved with other veterans organizations or start their own is they they're not done with their service there's some guys that want to completely be done and walk away and that's great you know if that's what you want to do more power to you but there's some of us that are definitely drawn back into it and force yourselves at some point to just dedicate your life to helping other veterans um you know and i kind of it's not a religious experience but i kind of put it on that same level of how chris uh, we'll bring chris back into this too of you know how he's dedicated his life to christ and helping other people on that same journey along with this alternate path of helping veterans and veteran organizations that he's has a passion for too even though he's not a veteran himself but I think a lot of us are kind of on those same parallel paths, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does you know? make sense because so, yeah. we're all brought to here because of our relationship with veterans. You know, my grandfather, when he was in the military back in the 
oh shit, I think it was back in the 40s and 50s, he was on the infancy stage of missile guidance system. And his mathematics and his brains for all doing all that fun stuff. And now where, where I'm at today is that I work for a company that we, we help a veteran's career from, or a service member's career from MEPS to, to they're out of the service. And so I've helped hundreds of vets all across the, the, the country here and getting them what they need to do. And now I, I help in the back end of it all to make sure that everything that we, we get taken care of when they're at that appointment gets sent back to the VA and everything is documented. So it's like kind of know a lot about what's going all on, but I, I may have not have been served. I mean, I've never, I haven't served in that served the country, but I served a different method. Cause like, I just got bad knees and it's just kind of just how the crooked crumbled on that point in time. But I figured out a way that it just kind of attached me to this, this global perspective on how we can improve everybody's enrollment, involvement to the whole thing. Cause when the bottom line comes down to when the shit hits the fan, I'm giving my my guns and ammo to somebody else and I will be the ammo bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, of my own personal, like, before we started the Dust Off Project, I was involved with Retrieving Freedom, who I have my service dog from, and I've, I've volunteered before that and fostered before that, and that's actually how I met Kayla, too, is she was a volunteer with them, you know, so we were connected, but, like, that was my kind of a big initial push into helping other veterans as I was fostering puppies that would eventually go to, if they passed through, to a veteran um, you know, and then it was kind of simultaneously the, the dust off project fell into our lap, but that was my first big push to help veterans. Um, and, you know, and I was involved with other veterans organizations and like small time volunteering, but then it was the dust off project happened and blew up into a really big, bigger than I ever imagined it. And, you know, and put me on the path to meet guys like these and, you know, and, I mean, Chris talks about this a lot, and he, he meets way more people than I do, but it's like one of those things where, you know, it's the start of a lifelong friendship, and, you know, we're now these two guys are probably on the same, walking down the same path with us, you know, is this is our opportunity to tell our stories and and affect more veterans and bring more veterans on the same path that we're down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it's a... Uh... I have two veteran friends back in uh, where I'm from and you know I, I, they know that I'm part of these groups and uh I don't know that it's it's hard to get veterans involved in veteran groups like it's really strange you know it's like you you tell them like hey man all you gotta do is go on Facebook and join the Fallen Outdoors and uh, put your name in the hat for whatever pops up or say hey I'm looking to go on a fishing trip or somebody to say, Hey, we're going fishing. Who wants to go? Like, it's just that easy. And out of, you know, social media is a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, you can spend five minutes and sign up and like, and friend and do all your stuff you need to do to be a member of it. Or you can scroll and look at reels and TikTok videos and waste 45 minutes in a wormhole, you know, like, and I understand because I'm guilty. I mean, it takes one to know one. I mean, I'm talking, I, I try to talk, speak from personal experiences. So, I mean, it's unique to me. And most of the time, if it happens to me, like dry firing my bow, like I was, I mean, the thought of making up some kind of bullshit story. I mean, it, it was, it was conversated like, ah, oh. I was like, dude, they're going to know. They're going to, like, they're not, like, 
Don't uh, be suspicious. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't be, be suspicious. suspicious. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that was the thing. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, just straight up. Like, yeah, I drive. Because it's going to turn into a story because the, the way it happened, it wasn't just, oh, I messed up or I maybe hit, maybe my finger hit the release or, you know, it was you know, a blatant, like, full on you. I don't know. It was just not an accident. Like, it was accidentally on purpose type happening but the thing is you can admit to it and that's what makes you different than anyone else because like the guys told me two weeks three weeks ago they wouldn't admitted it but here you are you're admitting it you're owning your mistake oh yeah you know what i'm saying like i I admit that yeah (laughs) and and it makes for a way better story just to tell the truth like yeah i Jack that up bad. Oh, that is know. my life, brother. Like I would have called you out and be like, "No, there's no way that happened." You know, I, would, I know. I would know. I, I know, know enough. Well, the, the thing about it is, you were an officer. I mean, so <laughs> there are different. Like I was enlisted, and you were like, so you know, like you know when when somebody's bullshitting you because you you have a fine eye for detail, and that's your craft. And you also can't bullshit a bullshitter. Oh, well, I, I, I've i been bullshitted true. before, and I'm a good bullshitter, and when you get it bullshit... Was, it was by a, an officer, though, right? Well, no, no, it was by a civilian, dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you get... When a bullshitter gets bullshitted, man, you are mad, because you just got took at your own game. You know, like, man, I got played. I yeah. got played. But, I mean... The honest truth is, it happens. Uh, it happens more than people want to admit. Is the, the honest truth. I haven't done it yet, uh, but I've been, you know, yeah, I've been involved in many, many dry fire situations, like uncomfortably close to being hurt from other people dry firing their bow. You know, as close as we're sitting on this couch together, I've been in that situation many times. And it's scary every single time. And if you ever come into my shop and somebody starts drawing a bow without an arrow, you will see me freak the hell out immediately. And, like, I don't get angry. I just get scared and looking to dive under some cover. Uh, Full disclosure, I drew my bow twice today with no arrow on it. (laughs) But I realized it way before I got the full draw. But that's a – this is a learning moment for everybody, too, is build a shot sequence. The first time Kayla did it, we – okay – we need to take take a step back and work on your shot sequence. You get to the, you know, this is mine. I get to the where I'm going to shoot, take my kickstand off, put an arrow on, then I'll look at the target, you know, get out my rangefinder, get out my binos. So arrow is the first thing on, basically, when I get into a position where I'm going to shoot. And then, then it's, you know, then you go through your drawing and shooting cycle. But, I mean, everybody's shot sequence is a little different and how you're comfortable with it, but I just... I'm to the point of, like, it's muscle memory, and I just feel weird if I don't do it in the right order. Both times that I did it today, I was – something had changed when I walked up. Either I was in the middle of a conversation or something else was going on. Because I, I have a shot sequence. I step up there, I do the same thing every time. And every – both times, I was like, oh, no, what, what am I missing? I'm not doing something right here. Right. And, like, <laughs> that's the part about – when we go to shoots like this is generally you're shooting with your friends, you know, when we shoot at home, it's normally just me and her, you know, so it's, we conversate, but you know, we make googly eyes at each other, but, but <laughs> she's, no, we, she said, don't. no yeah. we don't, but, uh, but yeah, so you can't bullshit a bullshit, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, 
But like we know, we just know each other, so we know like okay, she's gonna shoot. Don't talk to her for a second. But like here, you're, you know, you're cutting it up with your friends. You're you know talking about your bow setups. You're you're meeting new people because like the scramble, you're shooting generally shooting with somebody you've never met before or don't really know that well. You might have seen them passing at other shoots here, or met them earlier in the day or whatever. But you know, so there's always something off about this environment. Or, you know, it's not shooting at home on your home range or, you know, at your local club with guys you know that know not to talk to you. Or, you know, you're not trying to share new stories because those are the guys you see all the time. Um, so, yeah, it's it's super easy to make a mistake in an environment like this. Um, but as Jeff knows, sometimes there's somebody watching out for you, too, that's like, hey, man, yeah. don't yeah. do that. You don't have an arrow on your bow, oh, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. I carried a... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, unless you're recording. Uh, I, I, I blame the cameraman. The power of social media. Hey, take my phone and make this TikTok for me. Yeah, okay, I'm walking, watching you on the phone and not physically watching you with yeah. my own eyes, not put an arrow on your bow and then draw it and not fire a bow because you still have four left in your quiver. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, but it happens, you know. Yeah. And I didn't take the arrow out of my hand. It was in my right hand the rest of the day when the scramble went on. <laughs> Because I knew that if, regardless of where it was, if it was in my hand, I needed it to put it in the I arrow. Just, I just had <laughs> an awesome, in the, in the awesome army flashback to like <laughs> the dumbass that leaves his gun somewhere. <laughs> carry so now you're gonna yeah. carry around this broomstick or Oh yeah. Uh, when I was <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely. gonna go down a rabbit hole real quick. So when I was a rear deck commander, so I was left with like new privates that just came out of basic training, uh, while the rest of the the rest of the battalion was deployed overseas. So we still have to do annual rifle qual, you know, so I have some new privates. I have, you know, the medical guys that couldn't medically deploy, you know, just other random guy, whatever. So we're at rifle qual uh, at Camp Dodge in Des Moines. And I had a kid, rightfully, the one kid didn't really make him. He handed his rifle to a buddy because he had to go do something and he can't just take him off the range there. So he had to go get a shot or something at the medical thing and come right back. So he handed his rifle to a buddy. His buddy had to go shoot, handed it to somebody else. So, like, through through the grapevine, I learned that there was, like, four or five guys involved on this kid's rifle going missing for a short period of time. So the awesome corrective punishment we got to put down is, like, everybody's going to get a stick or a branch or a two-by-four, and you're going to make your own weapon to carry around uh so then they were funny like some of my favorite soldiers like these kids that were just out of basic training they're funny you know i'll give that credit so like they're finding like toilet paper rolls and other shit to attach these things like look i made this scope captain trunky look at this look at my new rifle you know and they're they're getting creative with it so then we extended it to you know for the i don't know how many more drill periods we made them carry these things around and then it was right, right towards the end of the deployment, so we're getting ready to do these welcome home ceremonies. And probably the funniest one out of this group of kids was like, hey, we got to go to the, the Unidome where you and I football plays, big, you know, dome, football field, indoor thing. And he's like, can I bring my rifle with me? I was like, oh, my God, yes. Yes, you can, because I want to see where this is going. So he's literally, like, doing, like, across the football field while we're checking this place out and figure out where we're going to put bleacher or, you know, the stage and stuff for people to see. And he's doing the, I'm up, he sees me, he's doing, I'm down. <laughs> he's up, he sees me, I'm down, you know. 
all the way across 120 yards from end zone, oh, back of the end zone to the back of the end zone. <laughs> like, and this thing was huge. It was like a four or five foot long two by four that he had duct taped all this shit. It looked like a gun, more or less. Like one of the funniest dumb things I've ever seen, and that's my rabbit hole, Mike. But yeah, no, I just picture you carrying around this arrow. I'm, I might get you a stick with a string on it. Oh, tomorrow. absolutely! Yeah, I Mike. will carry it around. Carry yeah. this around. You might be able to salvage what's left of your I've current bowstring to, to make a, bow a little two, wooden know? stick bow. So, Jeremiah, tell us about the falling outdoors. All right, so. I was, I've, I've managed to lay low and avoid the conversation. I told you earlier I'm not much of a talker. Uh, Fallen Outdoors is a nonprofit organization. It started in Washington State in 2009. Uh, it has since spread to, I believe, 43 states. Um, I think we've got somewhere between 75 and 100,000 members. I believe that was the numbers I heard last on it. Um, we set up hunting and fishing trips or just outdoor events, not necessarily hunting or fishing. Uh, two weeks, was it was two weeks ago we did the bike ride? We did the motorcycle? Yeah, that was about, uh, yeah, yeah, two, three weeks two, ago. Two, yeah. three weeks ago we did a motorcycle ride. Um, we got a golf outing going on. This is just for Indiana. I can't speak for the other states. There's, there's big teams in just a side multiple note states. On that bike ride. Uh, second year for it, and they raised over ten thousand uh, dollars in the, for this for the Fallen Outdoors. It was this bike club, uh, the Punisher Motorcycle Club, I think, in Columbus, Indiana, and they they put it on, and uh, it was shout out. I mean, uh, it was a a great thing that they did. Go ahead, sorry. What you got over there? Oh, you're talking bikes. I'm like thinking like bicycles. Like, man, I want to go on a bike ride. Like. I dabble in triathlons and I don't do competitive. That hey, that's dabbling. One, one a year that is dabbling. Totally die. I don't. Oh, absolutely. I don't train for them though. Is the worst part. I just show up and dominate. <laughs> I know a guy that can hook you up. You, you ever rode an e-bike? But uh, yes. Yeah. So you're talking bikes, and I'm like, man, well, that's that's a, that's a lot of money for cyclists to raise. No, I'm no, like, man, I'd no. go on a bike. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I wouldn't keep up with those guys. These bikes have <laughs> motors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But if yeah, we want to yeah. start a bicycle ride with the Fallen guys, let's let's talk that. I'm sure that could probably be arranged. I we might can, know a guy that knows how to build some trails. I mean, I might know a guy too. Uh, <laughs> oh, dog. Come uh, <laughs> More two or three. Uh, but we, we set up these trips at little to no cost to the participant. Um the only requirement is that you are a veteran, act, active duty, or a Gold Star family member. You go to the web page or the Facebook page, uh, ask to join. They verify that you are, in fact, who you say you are, that you are a vet, you are active duty. Um, and then all you do to enter in these hunts is somebody will post a hunt. They'll, they'll tell you the information, the where, the when, the how, the what. Uh, you follow the instructions to enter the hunt. They do the drawing. If you win, you go on a hunt, uh, or you go on the fishing trip, or you go camping trips, kayak trips, uh, spear fishing. They got all. They do all kinds of bow stuff. shoots. Bow shoots. Three D bow shoots. It's all That's why we're good here right until now. it's not. Um, it's not Indiana winded. 
Yeah. That's pretty impressive, though. I mean, you you you've kind of stepped away from that, or are you still are you still just volunteering your time these days? Oh no, I'm I'm heavily involved with them. Okay, um, Dave used to work with us. He like he said he had to cut something, and unfortunately, that's what what got cut. He still works with us pretty often. If any any time I need help, I work out of town a lot, as I told you earlier. Um, if I need somebody to do something in that part of the state that we live in, I call him. He he does whatever I need him to do or whatever he can do to help me. Um, but no, I'm I'm very heavily involved in them. Uh, I'm actually the team in Indiana. I am one of the three founding members that is still involved. Uh, we started the team in Indiana five years ago. Thank. We were talking about that at the ride. I think it was like four or five years ago. Yeah, we did our first event at the uh, North, the Expo there in Indianapolis yeah. or Blooming, wherever it was at, Terre Haute. Yeah, Indy. Yeah, Indy. It was Indy. Um, there's, I think we've got 12 or 13 staff members in Indiana right now. Um, we are looking for more. If anybody out there, we're always looking for more if, could always use more help, and that's probably every state, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, we get a lot of comers and goers, not a whole lot of people that really really realize how much work goes into it, how much time you have to put into it. Um, we, we, a lot of guys come in, and they want, to, uh, they want to have the title of being pro staff. They want to be able to tell people that they work for a veteran group, but they don't want to actually do any work. Prevention yeah. group. I, I, I know that it very, very well. When I was doing my own pro staff for um, for, for a clothing brand and stuff like that for Bucks of America, and it's like I know exactly what you're saying. They want all the free shit, but they don't want to put the work into yes. it. It's always frustrating because it's like it's very tough. And when you do find good people, and it's like it's it's like then it's a struggle for time to grasp it, to keep them focused, to keep them moving forward the whole, whole process. And it is a you just give and take with the whole process, you know. Now you two are cousins. Like you guys have got to have some some fun stories from back when you guys were kids. <laughs> How PC do we got to keep? Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not uh, governed by the FCC. So I understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's just our oldest kid in the room here with us too. So yeah. we're we're good. She's <laughs> oh no, Jer Jeremiah, you can pick. Uh, um, I'm, I'm kind of. I'm at your mercy. Um, I don't really have any that I mean. I've got a bunch, but none of them that really. Stand I got one. Out. So. I mean, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. Let's I'm going to put it, it out there because this is a funny one that I can remember. Right, so, I, know, I know where we're going. Uh, Jeremiah and I, I used to take, okay. So I'm two years older than Jeremiah. So I get my license and I can drive to school. So I pick Jeremiah up for school. Go just ahead. just make sure the statute of limitations is expired before you self-incriminate. <laughs> oh, well, this, I mean, if he was going to do something, he, I mean, he already tried to retaliate, I'm pretty sure by now, but. Or did I just oh, don't know? No. So <laughs> I got this best—I got this best friend of mine that uh, we've been homeboys since we were in kindergarten, and uh, we're both the same age. So we're both two years older than Jeremiah. And I believe it—I don't know if it was before school or after school. It doesn't really matter. It was matter. after school. It was after I know school. where this so is going. We took Jeremiah home, and Jeremiah, being younger, and he's running his mouth, and just kept running his mouth, and so. I mean, I didn't want to put a beating on him. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you up or anything, but uh, 
So I just had enough of his shit. And so I had Dave hold him down. My, my, so my best friend's name is also Dave. So I had Dave hold him down, and I ripped my, I shucked my pants off, and I stuck my brown eye <laughs> on his sniffer <laughs> and just let one go while he couldn't do anything about it. And so, I mean, we haven't had any problems since that day, so I smashed all that. But, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good story. I mean, that's... That, I mean, it's not that's so not good exactly for him. That's not exactly how that happened. <laughs> well, we'll that's exactly that. how I remember it, yeah. so that doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. The ending is exactly how that happened, but how we got there had nothing to do with me talking shit. No. This just took a really weird turn. <laughs> Welcome. And it was all good until it wasn't. <laughs> Welcome to my cousin. Yeah, movie. yeah, this is, this is my life. Yeah. It's going to be the title of my book. <laughs> Well, I mean, look at me. Really, I mean, how can you tell <laughs> a face quite like the this? No. I mean, okay, I got a good story. This is a good one. I mean, this is, doesn't really involve him from childhood. I mean, most of our stories involve, I was a, I mean, we haven't gotten into this, but I was kind of a party animal back in my day. Like, I like to get down, and uh, I never really got in trouble necessarily, but um, yeah, that's neither here nor there. But so, Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, uh, I was a party animal. Yeah. Mr. Jim Belusi, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I used to have really long hairs, probably down to my nose. And I would, every two weeks, I would go to my cousin, she was a beautician, and I would have her bleach my hair out. Like, just straight bleach, no dye, no per, no uh, peroxide or sun. I mean, this. It hurt. Like it burned. Like it, it, but it was worth it. You know, I had the white hair, long hair. Kind of looked like Chris Farley a little bit. I, one of my a heroes. A little bit. And uh, a little bit. A little bit. Used to act like him quite a bit. So <clears throat> carried that on to my military service, and uh, we're sitting in Kuwait at Fort Arif John, waiting to head north. And uh, this, my captain called me over to talk to some, to over to a conversation. And uh, I show up over there, and he's like, "Hey, did you do your Chris Farley impersonation?" Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I like to do it. Most time, I'm doing it probably when I'm drunk, uh, but never really on the spot. And to top it off, I mean, we're talking officers, captains, majors, lieutenant colonels, you know, standing in a circle, and I'm like an E2. <laughs> I don't belong here, but okay. <laughs> All right. I'll do your thing. So I did my Chris Farley impersonation, and uh, this officer, Major Silverstein, I'm just going to drop names, if that's all right. Major Silverstein, shout out. Uh, he laughed like he got a big kick out of it, right? Like this is a – he was a big fan of Chris Farley. And so <clears throat> fast forward a couple weeks, maybe, we make it north, and uh, – we're sitting in log base sites, and I'm taking a break. It's kind of been, I don't know, it's night. We'll, we'll, we'll say it's 10, 11 o'clock. And uh, laying on my bunk, and the door at the other end of our building rips open. And he, in, Major Silverstein, inserts himself, and he's like, Private Garrett, get out here now! 
<laughs> like screaming across the building, right? And everybody's kind of looking at me like, oh, you know, what'd you do? Like, you know, you got the XO, the battalion XO down here. Like, you know, and so I like throw on my, throw on all my stuff, battle rattle, and I like hightail it out to see what's going on. And uh, I step out the door and I'm a nervous wreck, first of all, because I don't really know this guy. I mean, I met him once and that meeting was me doing an impersonation. And, uh, I make it out the door, and he steps up, and he's like, hey, slaps me on the shoulder. He's like, let's go watch Tommy Boy. I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you serious right now, dude? Are you? I mean, come on, sir. He's like, yeah, man, come on. Let's go over here and watch Tommy Boy. So we went over to his little little tent. He had an air conditioner and TV, and, you know, he, I mean, it was nice. You know, he got to use a satellite phone, call home. Like, I haven't called home. I haven't spoke to anybody in a long time, you know, like. The technology that is there now, I mean, we didn't have, I mean, satellite phones, that was, that was about the best you could get unless you had like a landline at an NWR and a remote. You know, we eventually got one, but at the time, 2003, like satellite phone was your best way. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And it turned out to be a great friendship. Uh, one of my, you know, you're not supposed to fraternize, you know, necessarily, but man. Uh, Sounds like a really weird date. It was a really weird day. It was a man. It was my first man day. Congratu- to be quite congratulations, with you. and the relationship still goes on. Oh, it does. I, I don't mean we don't talk as often as I would like to, and that's not because I don't want to. It's you know, it's a weird thing. Like you, we have this. We have well, no, we have a device in our in our possession, twenty four hours a day that allows us to communicate with anybody we want to on the face of the planet. But yet, like there are people that I like like tug at my heartstrings to talk to, but like when I want to talk to these people, I don't want it to be like this five or 10 minute conversation. And then I got to go because like, I know like call 10 minutes is better than no minutes, but like, I want to, but like if you put it off and then because time, like, like there's only 24 hours in a day, like in, like you give your time to what you want and those people don't get in. Like, I don't know. It's very strange. Like I have the ability to do it. Like I could call him right now. I have his phone number. Let's let's call him up and see what he's got. To oh say. man, yeah. I mean, he he's probably got some really good stories too. Because all my stories are you know they're told from my perspective. Like Jeremiah added adds a layer of un, to the onion to my stories because he probably most of the time was there during these events in in my childhood. Yeah. But you know, like other people's perspective, like um, my military background is pretty kind of interesting i guess uh you can you can go into your military background okay i mean <clears throat> sure why not <laughs> I, think about that for just a sec so while he was talking about this device in your pocket you know uh that's probably one of the coolest things about the veteran community though is we can go weeks months years without talking the next uh, time how about not it? even ever knowing somebody yeah. or to yeah him. like even this morning we we're we we're sitting around, i mean i obviously immediate, 12 hours ago <laughs> we're trying to do a serious like here's your bow video and immediately turned into a bullshit session about just random stupid military things you know there's that instant connection that we kind of alluded to very early on in this podcast but like the veteran community especially has that going for us, but also the, the guys you haven't seen weeks, months, years, you deployed with them once, you know, umpteen years ago, you were, you know, went the basic training with them. Guaranteed you can see that person 
kind of goes back to this other story we talked about this morning. Uh, you could see that person just randomly out of the blue. They're, you're going to know who they are, and you're going to have a story you want to tell them. There's going to be a hug and a handshake. Uh, and you don't see that with normal, maybe in law enforcement, I'm not sure, um, you know, that type of community. But definitely in the veterans community, there's that bond that you could pick up a conversation with somebody that you haven't seen in years and never skip a beat. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, and just real quick, just from a perspective from someone who doesn't have any military affiliation besides being engaged to someone who has a military background, my first HHA shoot was something incredible. Tyson was like, you know, I really want you to go to the shoot because I want you to get a better understanding of who I am. I went to the first HHA shoot that I've ever been to with really no expectations and just seeing all the guys gathered together and just getting along but also talking crap to each other and you know just doing doing their thing it was kind of an incredible experience you can say shit on you no i'm not gonna say it um she's a kindergarten teacher she's gotta be all sweet and innocent yes <laughs> she is, she is. She is. Yeah. most definitely <laughs> definitely i don't know Those you are you darts. definitely are absolutely <laughs> anyways we'll just ignore that he just said that but it was it was a neat experience because, you know, these guys are sharing their stories and getting really deep with each other. And it's just, stop, stop. <laughs> now I see Chad and, who was it, David with oh, the arrows this from not be recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, call that a soup kitchen. It was just a really neat experience seeing that these guys and, you know, I got to understand Tyson a little bit more going to that shoot. And that's something he was hoping I would see. And it's neat. I mean, now you're part part of the group, and sorry. <laughs> hey, I, I love it. Like, yeah. Get, just to piggyback here. So I got out of the military in 2008 uh, from Fort Hood, Texas, and uh, that's the year I graduated. Well, thank you for Ouch. making me so old. I mean, I don't look old at all. Fifty-five tops. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. good. I mean, <laughs> I've aged relatively well. I'm fat, whatever. You know, I'm kind of pretty. You know, I guess. I don't know. I'm not married. Bad. Anyways, very, somebody wants to sleep very, very pretty. Yeah, so I'm getting sidetracked real easy. Um, I don't know where I was going. 2008. Oh, well, yeah, 2008. So I was going to interrupt you again. Oh, yeah, go well, ahead. So, like, we are like, before Kayla grabbed the mic from me. So, like, we were talking, uh, we are trying to be serious and do a, and it turned into bullshitting. And then we were talking about, like, our, our deployment history a little bit and how, you know, this I'm getting to a point here, I promise. So like we were I talking about like, never get to the point. Telling how a guy I went to college with we he was stationed at a different base in Iraq when I was there, but I got to go see him on a log run. We we knew that we were both there and we were chatting through email or whatever and we had arranged to meet up while I was at his base, uh, to at least catch up over dinner or whatever and his company area was right across the road from the chow hall, like literally like walk across a parking lot across the road and his company area was there. So we, we met up to eat, uh, you know, his actually, they were nice enough to hook us up with a truck. So we had a vehicle to drive while we were there, which is awesome. But then, so we're walking back across the road and I see another gentleman crossing the road, another soldier in uniform. We got like to the middle of the road, took like one step past each other made eye contact, you know, as we're passing, we both stopped about face in the middle of the road and we're like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on? 
the guy that I had passed on the road was one of my drill sergeants from basic training was a gunnery sergeant or a smoke in my buddy's field artillery uh, battery battalion. I think it was their battalion area. Like, hadn't seen each other. So this was 2006-ish, I believe. 2005, 2006. Was in basic training in 1999. Hadn't seen him in six years, and I run into him in the middle of Iraq just randomly, and he knew exactly who I was except for the massive change in rank at that point. I was a, I think I was still a second lieutenant at the time, but yeah, it was just wild. And like, we're standing in the middle of a, a fairly busy road, like having a conversation, like didn't care what was going on on us. It was that bond, you know, even though he was my drill, drill sergeant earlier, but yeah, just that, that quick catch up, like, holy shit, what are you doing here? You know, and he immediately knew who I was. I definitely knew who he was. Um, but yeah, and, and we were just kind of chatting about deployment histories and he was deployed in similar, like I did training in places where he was stationed at, you know, so we, there's that weird connection of we were at the same space and about the same time too. And, uh, it's something you don't get in the, the normal business world of civilian life and, you know, it's pretty instant bonds, you know, kind of the same bullshit struggle that we live through. Yeah, it's it's all suck, right? Like embrace the suck. Like no matter it, Kush or however you want to look at it, like the it all sucks. Like it's not, but you do it because you love it. You don't do it because it's a fucking job. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, like, deployment was horrible, but it was, I loved it. Dude, At oh, the same time. Man. Like, oh. if I was physically fit to be able to do it still at, back. at my age, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, man. You know, I would So much fun. I wouldn't hesitate to go back to the good times. There was definitely some really horrible, shitty times that I never want to relive ever again, but. No. Well, to have but to have those good times, you got to have the bad. Like, yes, you, you, you can't appreciate no, the great no. and good times without the no. truly yeah. exact opposite end of that spectrum. Absolutely, we didn't you know. your world is a completely crushed. Yep. You, you can't appreciate anything. I mean, to me, that's what it took. I mean, it took a long time to realize that because, you know, to in in that job, right? You don't have time to. The, the grieving the grieving process is very fast in in my experience you know it's or you compartmentalize your, your, yeah you got your, your those instances in your life yeah you got five minutes get the fuck over it you got a job to do yeah like, I mean that and that Suck I mean it it's up. not everywhere but I mean that's real I mean that that's that's you don't have time like yeah this just happened. But I don't have time. I can't worry about that. I can't do anything about that. But I can I can assist in saving. He made the ultimate sacrifice. You know, so now I need to, I, I got to, I, I have to respect that. And I got to get, get the hell out of here. Do whatever it is to. Do your job or you yeah. might be next. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so, yep. yeah. But so I got out of the military in 2008. And the last time I saw my buddy. Uh, I went down to Mexico. He lived down in the Harlingen Brownsville area. We went to South Padre. It was like February-ish, you know, and that was the last time I saw him. Got an invitation for a wedding. He was getting married in uh, the in Texas, in the Austin area. And, 
you know, like I'm super busy. I got a lot of, there's a lot of layers to what I got going on and, and, and just, but I, I, I wanted to go like I, there's been moments in my life where heartstrings are pulled. Like this is going to happen. And regardless if you got time for it or not, you're going to make time for this. And my wife, uh, you know, she made this happen because she knew it was important to me. And, um, but yeah, bring her along next time. Uh, She'll love it. She'll love us. I guarantee (laughs) it. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, I tell you this, she keeps me around. So what's that say about her? You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Poor Um, judgment. So absolutely. So, (laughs) you know, I haven't seen him since 2008 and, you know, I'm going to go down to his wedding. And so we make the trip and, uh, there's there's no better feeling than to be reattached to when 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 you're deployed you get 365 days or sometimes when you're fortunate enough you get those long 16 months however many days that is 16 months 16 and a half months so you get that time so you get a lot of time to get really I won't say intimate because you, you, you really do. You, you, those people become your real family. I mean, you have a family. I got a mom and I got a dad. I got two sisters. But I left that behind. And my new family are now these people that I spend every day with. And we'd lay it down for one another. I mean, it, no questions asked. So the, the, those people become your family. And then on the active duty side, like we had a conversation with a guy today, he was in the national guard and he was saying, you know, that's the, one of the perks, I guess, to the national guard is that, you know, all the people that I serve with, they're all right here. Like they're all right here in my hometown or my same area. And we see each other all the time. So when you're in active duty, like I was, you know, you may be in that unit for a year, two years, six months, whatever. And then you're out, I mean, the, the military is a small, like the army is a small world type thing. You know, like you're eventually you're running to each other again, but maybe not. Like you, when we got off our first deployment, he got out. I stayed in. We stayed in contact just because I was in Fort Hood. He was down in the uh, Harlingen Brownsville area. But yeah, so we reconnected, right? So this is 14 years or 13 years, however long it's been, and. It wasn't only him, and there were, there were two other friends of ours that showed up that I haven't seen since probably 2004 or 2005. And besides being a little bit older, a little bit heavier for them, because I was already heavy, so uh, fuck y'all. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> fuck your fat jokes. You, you're you fat now, so ha-ha jokes on you. So, yeah, I'm like, I'm old fat. You're new fat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the old, old money versus new yeah, money. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, like, it's a – there's no better feeling to, to, to have that again because it, it makes you – like, you're whole – your whole for a minute because a lot of times you leave a part of your, you leave a part of your soul over there. I mean, I believe that like when you go over there and you, you do what you have to do and your deployments, like I went, I was over there in 2003, 2004 when it was kind of the wild, wild west. And then I went back in 2006, 2008 
and it wasn't bad. We stayed on Camp Taji quite a bit, and it was good. Like, it was nice. It was good deployment. Refueled, rearmed Apache helicopters. That's a story in its own. But, like, you leave, when you join the military, first of all, you're broke down to nothing. And so they crush, they crush anything that you've built in the last 18 to 24 years. They get rid of that immediately because it's trash. That's just no good. We need you to be this guy. So we're going to take away all that bad shit and give you all this shit, give you these tools that will enable you to do what we need you to do. And so you lose a part there a little bit. You try to keep your sanity. You try to keep, you know, but you, you do. They change you. They mold you to what they want. And then you get to your units and then you go over to Iraq. And, you know, it's scary fun, adventurous, like it's all the emotions you could possibly have, but... Plus somebody's trying to kill you. Yeah, so you got that. Extra exciting. That's fun, you know? Like, it. it's a uh, an experience that nobody should ever have to have, but unfortunately sometimes it is needed, I guess. I don't know, but those those men and women that do it, like people... I, I feel like they're, I understand it, but a lot of people, they, you can't understand what it's like to lose a part of your soul unless you've actually kind of lost a part of your soul. Like those people that revisit, like go over to Europe, they were in World War II or, you know, go back to Vietnam or Korea. Like I want to do that. Like I was telling that story today. Like I would like to go back to maybe Baghdad, Biop area and like just just to visit it, just to see what it looks like now, because it was a complete shithole when I was there, and it's probably still the same way, but maybe he's still there. Like, maybe I can find him. You know, maybe he's standing on a street corner waiting for me. You know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, you know, having that reconnection with those Army buddies, right, and feeling whole again, like, I think that, like, if you could revisit the place where maybe you left it, maybe you could find it again. Like, maybe it won't be whole for the rest of your life, but maybe you could have a little bit of like closure, maybe closure. like build yeah, some, like some build closure. Some closure. Yeah, because yeah, closure is the right word you're looking for. Yeah, because you're always trying to build. I've, I've spent many years trying to build closure, and my my life story is, I mean, it's a wreck, and I'm living the best part of it right now. Like I've gotten to a place, you know. <clears throat> so I was born and raised in Southern Indiana in a small town called Boonville, and uh, you know I like to party. I like to get down. I like to play sports. I was all about it. Like. Uh, if if I could participate in it, I wanted to do it. But school was not one of those options. Like I did not want to participate in school. I was wasn't a great student, uh, but I had potential. I just didn't. I just didn't. I just didn't care. To be quite honest with you. Where's the booze? Where's the party? And Friday night there's a game. Those are the f- for sures that I had. You know. And so he did get the compliment the other day by a girl who was in my class that Dave Garrett was the heartbeat of Boonville High School for the four years he was there. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... Which ones? Any of them? He didn't say he was good-looking. He was like... Oh, bro-ham. He was the heartbeat. Yeah, so... So, I was... I I was a... I was what they considered a little overweight. I used to grab bear claws too at a time. I'm lodging this region right here. So, 
<laughs> uh, I don't know where I was going, man. You were, you were going you were, high school. You got distracted with, but you were talking about closure, then he brought yeah. up here. Oh, yeah. So I was going with where I, that kind of where I come from type thing, just to give you a little bit of background. Um, so I like to play sports, like to have a good time. Uh, didn't put any work into my uh, academics, though. You know, and I knew that. I wasn't dumb. But I had a great time in high school. Like, I was having a fucking blast. I didn't want to leave. Graduation came around. I cried like a little bitch. I was drunk at the graduation event. Like, it was a complete disaster. But I I found a way to go to college. Like, I found a way to... I want Because my whole time in that I grew up, I just couldn't wait to get out of Boonville. You know, like, I wanted to... I wanted to go do things. I didn't know what those things were necessarily. Like I had a cousin that lived in North Carolina. I spent a lot of time in Roseboro, North Carolina. He lived in Raleigh at the time. He went to NC State uh, and played football. Like, so I, I wanted to maybe go to North Carolina. Like, I just wanted to do something. I, I didn't want to do the Boonville thing anymore. And so uh, my senior year in high school, we wanted to have male cheerleaders. And so that opportunity presented itself. And me being one to not really shy away from anything, I was like, yeah. I mean, and I was like, yeah, I, I was, as soon as the idea was presented, I was all in, where do I get a uniform? Like, hurry up and put this thing on me. Let's do this. So, you know, we got a little team together. We went to a U University of Evansville local college there. We went to their cheerleading camp. Um, I think it was uh, in the fall because I wasn't playing football. So this was for, I played soccer. So I quit my I quit the football team. That's a pretty good story too. So I quit the football team. Uh, I didn't agree with the coaches, and I was a kid, and uh, I didn't know how to deal with adversity, and 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 that's fine. But I, I felt the way I felt, and that was that was the way I felt, and there was nothing to it. And I I was you know the starting fullback position got taken from me, and I was a little bit sour about that because that's what I grew up doing. And I wanted it, but I felt like I deserved it. You know what I mean? Like, I see, I, I understand that now, whatever. But I quit. And so I'm taking Jeremiah to soccer practices. Since he's playing soccer, I'm not playing football. I've got free time. I'll just take him to practice, pick him up, whatever. And I'm sitting there at their practice, taking penalty kicks. They're like performing practice, right? And I'm kind of by myself at the goals, just kicking balls around, wasting time. And Jeremiah, I believe it was Jeremiah, that ran up to me. He's like, hey, Coach Dunbar wants to know if you want to play soccer. I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do that. And so I was on the soccer team. I mean, I just quit football, made the soccer team. And for being a big guy, I was pretty quick. Like, I'm pretty agile. Pretty Amazingly quick, my, quick. Pretty quick on my feet. And so – I did that, <clears throat> and then the cheerleading thing, and so that's what I went to school for. I tried out for the Murray State cheerleading team. I made it, and, I mean, I didn't have any grades. You know, like, I couldn't get no colleges. I didn't even really send out paperwork because I, the plan, I wasn't planning on going to college. Like, I didn't know what I was going to do, but college wasn't in cards because I didn't really have the grades. But the somehow everything aligned. And I make the Murray State cheerleading team. And I'm going to cheerleading camp with Murray State 
at Eastern Tennessee University, and I'm not even fucking enrolled in school. Like, and I remember laying on this guy's couch, and I wasn't, I was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, went to Catholic school, did all that stuff, and I'm not going to say I necessarily lost my way, because I, I never, I didn't lose my way, according to them, maybe I did, but I don't know, my eyes were open when I got into the military, because, you know, you're exposed to people from all kinds of walks of life, and, you know, you're, I'm from small town nowhere, so I know, that's what I know. I know the little piece of dirt that I inhabit, and that's it. Because I never really, I mean, I've been to North Carolina, but I'm not well-traveled. I see the same people, you know, same same group of people just in a different geographical location. And so, uh, you know, I remember laying on this guy's couch and was like, hey, I don't know what needs to happen here, but I really want to do this. Like, I mean, I love, I mean, I was... When I do stuff and I really get into it, my wife hates it, first of all, because it means that I need to spend a lot of money. And I don't really have a lot of money, you know what I mean? So yeah, she doesn't like that. But it's I, I go, I, I, I tend to dive headfirst into it because I, I fully support and I'm fully all about whatever it is. I'm going to go all in. So I did this cheerleading thing. Okay. I don't know what needs to happen here, but I really like it. This this needs to happen, please. So I did cheer camp. Fucking, oh, man, it was so great. So awesome. UCA cheer camp, just killing it. Killing it. Freshman walk-on, uh, varsity. It was a fucking great time, man. I was at class. What's class? Like, I'm enrolled in college, but I ain't going to no fucking classes. So, you know, that you, you got to be done with classes by noon, okay, because you got practice. And then you got tumbling. So all your classes got to be shoved, you know, in a four- or five-hour window so you can be done by 12 or 1 to do workouts, weights, tumbling, cheer practice, all that good stuff. So I didn't really go to class. I wasn't too concerned about that. I was just there for a good time and to do my cheerleading stuff. And uh, – just just didn't work out, man. So I got really good. But while I was there, I got really good. Yeah. And I was taking a bunch of tumbling classes, and I was coaching tumbling classes. And I got my nailed – I remember this. I nailed my back flip one night, and everybody was like, yeah. I was like, that's a fluke. There's no way I can do it twice. And I did it again. And my coach was like, mm, we are doing this. And so it was homecoming. 1999 at Murray State. There's like 7,000, people there. And we're down there cheering, having a great game. And my coach is sitting in the stands, and um, he's in the far bottom right or bottom left corner. Hold on, Dave. David, David, I got to ask. What month was this in 99? Because spring break, 99. Oh. Oh, yeah. So this would have been in, like, October. Okay. November. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a spring break. Football seasons in the fall. (laughs) I don't play football. Yeah, yeah. So so there's there's a bunch of people there. You know, homecoming. It's a big game. And he stands up, and he gives us the signal for waterfall. And that's where the cheerleaders on one end, start and they do a backflip and then it goes in sequence. The next person does a backflip, 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 backflip. And I'm like at the end, 
And so I'm watching this all go down, and I'm a nervous wreck. First of all, like I like doing my thing with my stunt partner, but individually doing a backflip, I'm not 100% comfortable because I've landed it twice. And both of those times were in controlled conditions. And there's 8,000 people, and there's a lot of eyes on me, and, and there's a lot of eyes on me, and there's 8,000 people. And so I just did it. I jumped up in the air, extended, blocked, opened up, and just fucking ate turf. <laughs> that and, story went exactly how I hoped it was going to go. And so not only did I do it once, I popped back up and immediately hit it again, jump, block, tuck, open up, and fucking eat dirt again, twice in front of all these people. Oh, man. And so when I hit, right, on the second time, I landed in such a vertical position that my chin and my fingertips smashed the track first. And so I jammed all my fingers and my shoved my jaw bone, like, up. Like, they had to... So the stadium is cantilevered, right? And it's cantilevered over a little bit of the track, and there's a big open section probably 15 yards wide underneath of the stands. And so I magically got dragged by these people, by these imaginary, like I just slowly wormed my way off of the, like they, yeah, I mean, I was completely out of it, this limp, this laid on the track making a scene, and I just got like magically just exited. Very slowly and smoothly. It was a nice transition. Bravo to those guys. I can't remember who you were, but yeah, it was. Uh, and so later on down the road, I'm. I can't even. I don't know where I was at. It was very random. I don't know. But this person was telling the story, right? And they were talking about a football game in Murray State, and so that caught my attention. Yeah. So I started listening to this story and she was talking about this football game in Murray State and you know blah 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 homecoming and this cheerleader you know and he jumped up in the air and did this backflip and he smashed his face and then all like all these people were going on and on and on and I was like Murray State huh I like, know uh, that guy yeah I was like uh, you know that guy you're talking about I was like that's me you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was so funny because it was like, man, I'm not even going to interrupt this story because I want to hear it from somebody else's point of view, you know, that somebody actually witnessed it. And it was just as bad from their end as it was on mine. Like, it was a complete disaster. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? So, you know, be embarrassed? Yeah, I'm fucking. But I'll be the first because it's a funny story. You know what I mean? Like, it's nothing to be ashamed. I mean, it's something to be ashamed of, but yeah, so what? I mean, people fuck up. People do it all the time. But it, it's it's funny, and put it out there because it's it's part of who you are, you know? Like, it makes up your character, and it makes up makes up everything about you. And, the, and when you can accept these little bitty flaws and imperfections inside of your personality, inside of who you are, you can't necessarily fix them, but when you accept them, they just become... Like my life's kind of like a dumpster fire most of the time. Like shit that can go wrong. It, like I'm that guy. <laughs> I am that guy that the strange shit happens to, and you can't explain it. But I don't know how it happened. It just happened, sir. 
You know, <laughs> I don't know. All the leaf springs on the truck, yeah, they're all broke. I don't know what happened. You know what I mean? Maybe I was driving too fast. Maybe I shouldn't have ramped it. When it, I don't know. You know, it just broke. But I think this is a good transition because I want to find out more how you became this Picasso, this Michelangelo with landscape with the small skid steer and creating these jumps in the middle of fucking I Indiana. I don't know if anybody realizes how full circle this conversation just went from when we started. Uh, Kayla had to leave to go back to be with the kids, but uh, she did 18 years of competitive cheer. So, like, he's telling this story, like, cheer, cheer, cheer. And I'm just looking at her, and I was like, did you guys just become best friends? Because <laughs> – I, I even t- wait until I tell Alicia about this, too, because she did competitive cheer, too. Yeah, yeah like I, – I was watching Kayla over there go – Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, like – I was watching her, too. I've lived that. I know what she's talking oh, about. Oh, dude, I get down, bro. Like, I love it. Yeah. Like, that's so... I love those not, – it's not an obscure sport, but, like, no, track, it's... swimming, and cheerleading get a – Bad fucking rap. Like, those guys in band, those guys do work. Like, I don't know. I, I'm all, I'm a big proponent for swimming. Like, I want every football, I want every athlete to swim because it's low impact, body weight, and the the stamina that you gain, just in my experience, I swam a little bit in high school, and coming out of swim season into track season, I mean, it's a totally different experience than not doing swim and just doing your regular conditioning. But so getting to my uh, modern day Michelangelo comment. Um, so in my life's journey, after I got out of the military, I was the t- statistic of job hopping, closet drinker. Like, uh, I mean, I just came clean to my wife. Oh, it's been a few years back that, you know, I was, so I was an underground coal miner. Okay, and the drive home was let's say forty minutes, and it was all back roads. So I would stop at the local liquor store on my way home, and I'd grab a twelve pack of whatever craft beer I wanted, or maybe I'd get you know twelve different beers of whatever, and I would, I mean, I would suck the bottoms out of them on that forty minute ride, and I'd be done with them by the time I hit the front door. And plus, I was on a bunch of medications and stuff too from the VA. That's a, that's a, that's a story. But, um, yeah. So, uh, the modern day Picasso. So, underground coal miner, closet alcoholic, job hopping, depressed, PTSD, like all the every single thing that you always hear about. You know, it's always the same. Symptoms, you know, I won't call them symptoms, but the same scenarios, you know, or one of or a combination of all. And so I did a bunch of job hopping, underground coal miner, surface coal miner, construction worker. I worked on golf courses, anything to make money for my family. I mean, that was the big thing. Like, I was a piece of shit. Like, I, I was having a lot of problems. And it's because I'd lost that control mechanism, right? Because in the military, you got this control mechanism. You got these people that they're not your wife, right? Like, every, the wives get a bad rap. But, you know, the bitchy, you know, my bitchy wife. You know, but they're the control. I mean, they control your life. You have a set schedule. You're scheduled every day. You're going to have PT in the morning. You're going to go home from PT. You're going to get a shower. You're going to get dressed. You're going to eat chow. Then you're going to come to first formation. And then you're going to get your works 
whatever your mission is for the day, and then you're going to do that, and then you're going to go take a lunch, and then you're going to come back, and you're going to do it some more, and then you're going to have clothes of business, and you're going to go back to your barracks, and you're going to hang out and shoot the breeze or whatever it is you do, and you're going to do it all over again the next day. And so whenever you get out, you kind of, you still have that, right? Like, you have, you can do that schedule on your own at home. But it's that, there's this mental block, like, it's so strange because I can't explain, like I'm trying to figure out how to do it, but there's this block, like, like this thing, like I could call anybody I want to call, but like I, I could get up at 6.30 and I could go exercise and I could eat breakfast, I could wake my kids up, like I could relive the schedule, but I just, I can't because I'm not there, like I'm not with, I'm not home, I'm not comfortable in this body, like I'm not comfortable in the civilian world, I don't feel... I'm not. You have options. You have. Yeah. You can choose not. I can to do choose those to things. sit on this fucking couch and do a nothing, and nobody's going to do a thing about it. My wife might leave me. I might lose my kids, but I'm not going to. I mean, so what? I mean, that and that and that's like, that's not good. You know, like that's not. But that's how it is. I mean, that's how it was for me. You know, and so I decided that. It wasn't pressure from my dad, but, you know, all my family, they were all iron workers, you know, and, you know, my dad was like, hey, you know, come be an iron worker, you know, maybe I can get you in. And I didn't want to, I didn't want my dad to get me in. I'm not, I don't want to be given anything, you know, like, I'm not going to ride his coattails either. Like, if he gets me in, I'm not going to only work with him and live in his shadow, you know. So, he, he did get me into talk with the business agent to get into the apprenticeship. And maybe he did have a little bit of influence on me getting into the apprenticeship, but I passed that shit on my own. And I was my own person. My dad was pokey and I was pokey son. And it, I worked for what I had and maybe I gave myself a bad name. Maybe I worked, maybe I, I was in a bad spot in life. Like the home life wasn't great. Uh, we were arguing all the time. I was fucked up all the time. I was on a bunch of VA meds. I was trying to, I just was not, I was not in a good spot at all. And I gotten laid off and the business agent at the time was like, you know, we'll put you on the list and we'll give you a call, which I mean, <laughs> I still still waiting on that call. Still waiting on that phone call. But no, that's cool. (laughs) Don't call me though. Don't waste the minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I'm laid off. I'm not working, and I'm helping my dad uh, in his yard with some landscaping stuff. And uh, this friend of mine calls me up, and uh, Nate says, "Hey, we doing?" I was like, "Man, nothing." He's like, you working? I was like, no, nah, I'm kind of laid off right now. He's like, well, I think I have something you might be good at. Advertise yourself. Sell yourself. And I didn't really know what to say. I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, if you were interviewing for a job and somebody said, what can you do? So what can you do? I said, well. Man, I can do everything. I'm a, I'm a, a, a jack of all trades, a master of none, really. Like, I mean, I've been a coal miner. I've driven heavy equipment. I've driven bulldozers. I've operated excavators. You know, I've worked at landscaping. If it's got wheels or tracks, I can drive it. You can kind of weld. Kind of weld. 
that's what I really took to in the iron worker was welding. I mean, I had, I had somebody that I, I had somebody I could go to for questions. He was a boilermaker and here it is. And he could help me out, Jeremiah, on whatever I needed. But I, I was, I was okay, I guess. I mean, I was decent. I, I held my own. I mean, I had, I kept jobs steady until I didn't, you know? And so, <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm in this bad spot and things are not good. Like there's no money coming in. I got, so right now, presently, I have a 20 year old daughter, a 15 year old son and going to be nine year old daughter and going to be seven year old son. Right. And so this was, I don't know when, what year this was, we'll call it. Well, this was two years ago. This was two years ago. And, um, so he's like, well, how would you like to come build some bike trails for me? I was like, okay, you know, what we'll be talking about, you know, for money. And it wasn't a lot, but it was more than nothing. And it was an opportunity, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I rode BMX bikes as a kid, nothing competitively. You know, just for fun. You know, just like any other kid, BMX bike, old school mountain bikes. You know, twenty one speeds, whatever. Just riding bikes. Nothing. I have zero frame of reference. You know, I'm Donnie, Big Lebowski. You got zero frame of reference. Shut the fuck up. You know, like, I have no idea. Uh. So I show up. I meet up. So it's uh, my two friends of mine. They're big into bikes. Okay. Um. They have, there's this place, Skills Lake, where I'm from, and these two gentlemen, Nate and Brad, they've put in a lot of work, man. Like, they have, they've done it all themselves, all volunteer time. They've built this amazing place to mountain bike at and for kids to go to and for people to come to and see. And I've kept, you know eyes on them so to speak you know i show up pop in every once in a while say hey because they're my buddies you know what i mean one of them was a teacher at the middle school at the time and my buddy nate we've been friends for a long time and so we just you know keep up with each other and so you know i keep track and go see the my son was in bike club so that helped me expose me a little bit to what was going on jumps and you know just different shit nothing serious i didn't even really pay attention to be honest with you when i was looking around i was just mainly talking to my buddy watching my son a little bit and then i'd roll out so I go down to this place, Rough River. Uh, it's down in Kentucky, and uh, it's a Army Corps of Engineers place. It's a Cave Creek campground, and uh, they want to build flow trails, and they want to build three of them, and they're about six miles. And so I show up, and... I'm working with these three gentlemen that, I mean, they've got a lot of experience on building trails and the tools and how to use them and what to do. And so I just kind of pay attention, you know, that the military side of me, you know, there's a, believe it or not, like I have an eye attention for detail. Like you have to have, like, if you're going to do anything that's going to be worth anything in the military, attention to detail is going to get you places because it's the fine eye uh, you know, it, from the main things, your uniform, 
Like that's the main, that's what I talk about when you know, like, is everything dress the right dress? Is everything square? Is everything exactly where it needs to be? Perfect placement, clean, polished, nice, professional. Just these list of things that make you stand out from your peers because a lot of times people won't put that effort in for that fine eye and they'll just throw the shit together hastily and show up looking like a soup sandwich you know you know i come in when you polished your boots man them motherfuckers were shine you know what i mean like you walk in down the sidewalks and you can look down at the toe of your boot and you can see the clouds just like it's a mirror you know like a lot of people didn't do that you know, it's a fine, I mean, a lot, a lot of people did. You take pride in the uniform that you wear because, well, I mean, there's pride in it. You get in it what you, you get in, you get out of it what you put into it. And um, so I start paying attention to these guys, asking questions, learning. And so... They bring in a mini excavator one day. I knew it was coming, just didn't know when. They're like, hey, we're going to start digging this trail. We're going to need you to bench cut. So um, what you do is you go up to a hillside, and I wish I had like a representation of it. But so Audio show, Dave. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you take a hillside. And what you're going to do is you're just going to go to a random spot on it and take a chunk out of it, like a bench, okay? And then, so you take that, you dig that chunk of dirt out and you create this foundation for your trail. It's a bench cut. And that bench cut allows you to ride and also water to drain off of it. You know, so you cut a bench and then you lay everything back. You got a back cut. So you don't want water when it runs down the side of a hill and it hits a sharp edge, it erodes that edge away. What you do is you back cut that edge and you lay it back like 22 degrees. And so that water has a nice gentle flow down and it hits your trail base. And that trail, it's not really flat. I don't know, five degrees, six degrees of decline. So it's just a gentle slope, not enough for you to really notice when you walk or ride, but enough for water because drainage is a trail's best friend and you want the water to shed off. So I get in this mini excavator and I mean, I've operated machinery, but it's been in wide open spaces, right? You know, like I'm in the middle of the woods in a, at a, at a army corps of engineers. It's a dam is what it is. They dam this place up and it becomes this lake, Cave Creek. And so I don't really know what I'm doing, but I have a general idea of what they're talking about. And so I just kind of start experimenting with it because nobody there can help me out. I'm the operator. And so, yeah, I can figure it out. I can do this, you know? So all these skills that I've acquired throughout all these jobs, right? Like, Working at golf courses, okay? So when you work at a golf course, sometimes you do greens. And when you do greens, there's undulations and flows for the ball to run, right? And so I translate that ball running on the green to water 
running on my trail. Like I can, like I try to see, and that's the other thing. Like when you walk in the woods, right? Like you're walking on limbs and sticks and leaves and brush. You take a leaf blower to that and you expose what's underneath of it. The terrain changes a lot from what's what you're walking on to what is actually underneath of you. And so, you know, you, I took this machine and I just started digging and my first, my first piece of it, first piece I ever did was really wide because my machine was really wide. Like it had, I could take the tracks on my mini excavator and I can suck them in. Like they'll go from five feet to three feet. Like I can suck both tracks in and I can make a smaller platform for me to ride on. But smaller platform means more room for error, right? Because you're working in a tighter space. There's more room for off balance on all axes. Like there, it's, it's for somebody that really doesn't know what's going on. It's kind of scary, you know, because one wrong move and that machine's going over and you're going with it. And so you don't want that to happen. Yeah. So I dig this trail and it's actually on my Facebook page. And, um, as I'm digging this trail, this section that I come to, there's a waterfall up ahead of it. And on this hillside, there are four different areas where this water comes off the hillside and drains into this creek. And so I have to dig through this area and it's super wet, super rocky. And I take the machine through it once and then I have to, it's a lot of work to get it back across because it's so wet. And so my idea was that, okay, I got all these big rocks that I'm pulling out of here. And these rocks are, I can't remember what machine we were using. It was Takuchi, but it was a smaller machine. And so these rocks, like the machine was really struggling to get them out of the way. Because I had to get them out of the way because I had to be able to get five foot. You know, I had to get that five foot of space. And so I had to dig further in or further out. And these big rocks are there. And so yeah. I just grab a hold of them. I put them to the side. And so when I walk my way away, I turn around and come back. I'm just going to swing around and grab these rocks. And I'm going to place these giant rocks three to four feet apart. And then I can roll right back across them. And then when I get to the other side, I can build a little rock garden armored. They call it armored section. So when the water runs off this hillside and all these drains, it hit it hits the rocks and then it filters through the rocks in the spacing and then it drains out. And that's called, uh, I think it's called book shelving, but you basically turn the rocks in the direction that you want the water to run. So if you've got thin rocks like this, okay. And you sit them all like book, like books in a case, and then you run them down and then you turn them, that water will follow that bookcase, as long as these rocks are turned this direction and then your rocks holding it in are turned the opposite, holding it. So the water has nowhere to run but down that little channel. All right. So all that worked out. Okay, so I dig all that out. I make this giant road. I carry on about my business and I do another, oh, oh man, so many miles, not miles, well, a few miles of bench cutting. And then we also had a, a stand behind, a walk behind skid steer. Um, I don't know. The dingoes is yeah, the most I common one. Yeah, we had a ditch witch. And we had a blade on it. And that's how we cut a lot of the other berms is that we had a four-way blade. And we just get on this skid steer and 
cut the trails and cut the berms and then finish it in with rakes. So all this work you've been doing, are you, are, is the track being prepared for a race or for just the community? So this particular, this, these are hike and bike trails uh, at the Cave Creek. So these are multi-purpose, so you can hike them and bike them. So a lot of times, like we're working uh, at a small town near us right now at a community center, and it's a pump track, pump tracks and flow trails, and it's for the community. We're doing one at Griffin Bike Park in Terre Haute, Indiana. That's a awesome trail. It's called Recon. Uh, Tyler McCall is the pro on that. Uh, Red Bull Rampage. Tyler McCall, I think he plays know top five this past year i can't remember i shouldn't know this stuff but i don't i'm not really prepared um but it so that's for a community and griffin bike park man it's all about veterans like the whole place the griffin bike park is dedicated to dale griffin who died in uh, afghanistan and their family dedicated this bike park to veterans and it's everything veteran all the trails got you know recon over and out, uh, Oregon Dive Valley, which is where Dale was killed at. Um, uh, what was that? There's just Freedom Trail is the main trail that goes through there. There's just, and there's pictures of veterans on these yard signs all through the trails. Like it's it's really a cool place, and it's really got it going on. And so most of them are for communities. None of them is really for race necessarily. Most of them is for community and just for everybody to ride, you know, and to enjoy. And so. Uh, when I, so when I build a trail, like my main concern is drainage one and two is making it look nice. Like when you ride through or walk through, you don't want to see shit cluttered up on the edge of the trails or trees right on the edge of the trail and brush piles, you know, like I make it clean, you know, I throw everything off to the sides as far as I can and just make everything look really nice as you walk through and make it as the, as, as good as experience natural, as you can, naturalize it as best I can. And, um, so I do all this stuff. We build these trails and it's come time for opening day. You know, they're going to cut the ribbon and they're going to open it up to the public and people have been walking it and people have been on it the whole time, you know? And, uh, Oh, my microphone has not been on this entire time. No, it's been on. Oh, has it? Okay. Good. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, it, it was we all don't good have until time to go just, back to this. Yeah, it's yeah. getting late. So, no. uh, you know, I got to keep you guys on your toes a little bit. I get off on a tangent here now and again. Um, yeah. So opening day, this woman, me and Brad are standing over off to the side a little bit. Everything the the ceremony's over, and we're just kind of standing there watching everything go down. There was a you know bunch of I'll say a hundred people there on bikes ready to ride. Yeah. And uh, this woman walks up to us and, you know, she's like, who, who built, you know, the armored section down there? Like, who, who did that? Who's day? You know, and I kind of look at Brad and Brad kind of looks at me and I'm like, eh, you know, I, I didn't want to necessarily raise my hand because it was a team effort. You know, I wasn't the only person that did it. You know, everybody helped. But, you know, if you're looking for somebody to blame, I guess you can blame me, you know. And she's like. That is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It, it's genius. And, I mean, where I come from, like, I thought she was cussing me. Because, you know, you don't get compliments like like Bless your heart. Yeah, bless your heart, <laughs> your poor soul. Like, you know, like, I didn't really know how to take that. 
Because I'd never had anybody tell me that before. He called me like three days later, and he's like, man, yeah. I, got, I got to talk to you about something. And I'm like, what's that? And he said, he told me the whole story, and he said, and this lady said, that's genius. And, and I, I didn't know how to take it. Was it a compliment? And I'm like, yeah, probably, Dave. And he's like, I just... It was so weird. What the fuck do I do with that? Yeah. Yeah, what am yeah. I supposed to do with that? Like, I can't <laughs> put that in anything. Like, nobody... How am I going to use that? So, uh, I really want to find this picture for you guys, because it's really... Here you go. Um, I'm just going to pause for a second. There it is right there. So... Um, Dave, that's genius. I know, right? <laughs> so... Dumbass. <laughs> and... That is pretty. That's very cool. So it's artsy. I'm figuring, yeah. yeah so I'm figuring oh, this out. Wow. And this one. Yeah, I'm trying to work through this. You know, I'm trying to figure this all out. So that job kind of ends, and we really don't have anything else to do, right? Like that job's over, and that was kind of it. And so I continued working for my buddy Nate. You know, and he kept me employed, and he does constructions, both homes and stuff, and. I was useful, you know, I, I I can I can talk cranes in on radios, right? That's part of my job as an iron worker. I talk to crane operators and call it in the blind. So while they're operating a crown a crane on the ground, I'm up high on a radio directing them, you know, swing left, swing right, boom up, boom down. And they're they can't see. They're just trusting that I know what's going on. You know, so I ha I brought those skills and they were useful for him. And so, fast forward a few months, and there's still talk of this trail thing kicking off, and um, Buddy Brad's like, hey, you know, uh, we got this thing up in Terre Haute at Griffin Bike Park, you know, we're going to bid these jobs, you know, we're going to form a trail crew. And so I'm like, all right. So we get this down, it all goes right and we're just I and I don't know what I'm doing I mean let me just preface this like I have zero idea what the fuck I am doing but I'm doing something because people are liking it but I just can't figure out how am I doing this like and I've been asked that question a couple of times like how do you do it I don't know I still do I can't tell you you just you just see it yeah, it's, like, it's, it's the strangest fucking it. thing ever. And I love the shit out of this job. Like, I'm not unhappy to wake up in the morning and go to work. Like, I don't hit my head on the steering wheel five times to get motivated. I don't, like, I, I love what I do, but I don't know how I'm doing it. Like, it's the craziest thing. Like, all the things I've ever done have led me to this place. It's it's what you consider will be considered art. Because art doesn't, it, there's no right or wrong way to do it. You just, yeah, it, it is absolutely does. art. And and that's kind of like the joke right now with me. Well, not a joke, but that's kind of like where I'm trying to, like, a lot of my family are, they're artsy people. Like, you know, paint, draw, like all these things. I can't do any of that. Like, stick people with some basic clothing, maybe. Optional. But for some reason, dirt is like, a canvas you know like i can see they tell me hey you know there was this one so we're working in spoil hills okay in Terre Haute, and spoil hills are what's left over of a mine so let's say the coal is you know 50 feet under the ground so they consider that overburden like the stuff that's on the dirt rock all the stuff that sits on top of the coal so what they do is they blow it up 
and then they dig it out with either dozers, uh, shovels, or drag lines. This happened to be a drag line. So they take this big bucket, and they rake it across the ground, and then they swing over and they dump it. And they dump it in rows where it's like a mountain range. Jeremiah gave that analogy. But it's just dirt, right? But it, they're called spoil hills. And then, you know, they stack it. And then they move over and they stack some more. And they just run these parallel hills with each other. And so that's what we're working. And they can vary from 25 feet to 60 feet to 30 feet to a thousand feet long or 500 feet long. Like they're just very, they vary. And yes. so they walk through this and nothing's cleared off. They're just walking through the woods and they say, this is a good spot for uh, a feature. We're going to call it Y control. And what I want you to do here on this top of this spoil hill is there's some undulation and some roll to it, like a big dip. And I want two jumps mirrored. So they're like wedges mirrored like this. And you start back here and you got these two jumps that are mirrored each other at like a 30 degree angle. And then below that, you got to be able to land. And then I need we need to go up and I need you to build me a toilet bowl. And that's a 270 degree berm. And so you ride in it and then you come all the way back around and you loop back. Is that what you're working on currently? Yeah, that's what project? we current, that's what we just got done building in okay. Terre Haute. So, and you know, this is just at this time. There's fallen trees. There's brush. There's sticks. There's everything in the way. You know, like they just have these ideas, and it's my job to bring these ideas to life, right? So it's uh, here's what I want. Make it for me, you know, and so. You know, we were talking like the spiritual thing and stuff earlier, you know, like when I'm out in the woods, like that's my, like big picture. I, I, I want our company, I, I want to be able to hire veterans, like, because they have a work ethic. A lot of them have a work ethic that is unmatched, unparalleled. Like they will work their asses off for you. If you're good to them and they're having a good time, and you could, like if it appeals to them, they're going to work their asses off, and they're going to enjoy it. They're going to have. I enjoy my job. I sit in the woods for ten to fifteen hours a day on a machine or with a hand tool, and I reflect. Like I got, I get time to think. I get time by myself. I get time to think about all kinds of stuff. And recently, it's been. Well, sorry. Let me back up. So in that, the forest is a living and breathing thing to me. It's a living and breathing thing. Like I, when I go into a job site, onto a job site, I, I try to make a connection. Like um, I always play music. Like uh, it's crazy. Like some different places like different music. I mean, I just get this vibe. Like I always want to have this calm vibe when I'm in the woods. And just relax and don't force anything. Like I don't force any of my work. Like I don't try to make it happen. Like I don't, you know, fight against myself and spin my wheels to make this happen. Instead, let's just, what can I do here? Like what is going to be the lowest impact around me, but I can fit this feature in, you know, because when you're, 
you know, building trails, you don't necessarily have, like, there's all kinds of dirt you can get or material, but you can't have any necessarily brought into you. So what you want to do is you want to use what material you have and efficiently. You want to dig it from this area and put it in this area, but you don't want to take up a lot. Like you, it, It's a balance. It's a very fine balance of not overdoing it and destroying a lot of area because you know environmentally you know you're a surgeon in that in that realm sure yeah you could because i don't like cutting down trees either Mm -hmm. you know like i try to keep that to a minimum because that's you know that's the part of it like small trees like but big stuff i I like to leave it i'm a big i don't like to cut down trees if i don't have to i'll work around them i'll alter trails like i'll do a lot of things to not cut down a tree or just to disturb, to make low impact, low mm-hmm. impact. So, you know, I sit out in the woods and I contemplate these things. And, you know, we build this recon trail in Terre Haute and people are loving it. It went great. It was, you know, everything's always stressful no matter what you do. And you always have deadlines and you want to meet them. Weather, my, this job is very much weather related and the rain this year has been unreal. And so we've had that to work with, but we made it happen. And man, it's so awesome. I mean, it like uh, El, like we were talking about El, um, El Stepo, this jump, right? So I got some pictures of it. It's a forty-five foot ish spoil hill, and they want to ride down it, and then hit the bottom, and then ramp off the twenty-five foot spoil hill on the other side. And so they want to build. A platform and they want to do all this stuff and so it's my job to figure out how to do it and like I said I don't really know what I'm doing there's no place to go like YouTube ain't got much you know there's some podcasts out there but you know it's kind of a it's not necessarily trade secrets but it's like you know there's not, it's not a lot of them you know and so you know I find what I can and do what I can but like how why why is this happening and man I've, I've just come to grips with like you can't force anything like that's a lot of the problem that i have you know with my service and stuff like i want things to happen so i'm making them i'm gonna make this happen yeah don't if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen like you're it's gonna if you put the work in it uh, it will happen on its own and and it might take you a little bit longer but you won't have problems it won't be as stressful to just let it happen then to try to make it happen can save yourself a little bit of headache with that perfect so, i think that's a a good analogy that you put everything together because you really bared a lot of your soul out tonight and your what's what you've gone through for the last 10 15 years and you found your place in in the world and, and finding it and reestablishing that that connection out in the woods sounds like it's it's, it's peaceful for you it's a, it's a peaceful oh, chaos yeah it is i love it like uh you know so just to give you a little bit so this bike park we're doing this recon trail and so they named it recon and i stashed away this idea because i knew eventually they're going to be looking for signage for the trail and so eventually it came around they're like hey you got any ideas for signage and i was like yeah dude recon tab you know simple to me simple is better you know it's just a little tab and it says recon and you can 
you know, maybe you got to pay for it. I don't know, but you can probably just put it on there and it would mean a lot to veterans when they, they know what that tab is and it's like a connection to them. It's like, oh, it's a great idea. And so, you know, they kind of went with it. They've doing, been doing some experimenting with it. And um, this guy walked up to me one day and he's like, hey, uh, we want to use your story. You know, we want to we want to give you some credit on this trail and, you know, talking about just, and I was like, no, nah, man, you know, I, I'm doing it with a company. I don't need no credit. He's like, no, your military story. So I was in this military unit, 1st Cav, 4th of the 227. And in 2006, 2000, or this was in 2007, we were in the Battle of Anajaf. My unit was with 1st, I think 1st of the 227 was involved as well. You should know this stuff, but I just don't know it real well. But 4th um, of 227 was definitely there because that was me. And years later, just this past couple, this past year, they made a movie. They made a documentary about 4th of 227, 1st of the 227. It's called The Longest Month. And it's about the Apache helicopters. So my second deployment, that's what I did. I refueled and rearmed Apache helicopters and took part in that. And, you know, it's this documentary about the pilots. And, you know, we lost a couple pilots, lost two pilots. And just, you know, the stories. Like, there was military and CAV history made, and I didn't even know it. Like, I was just doing my job type thing, right? I, I had my little circle of what I was doing in my mission, and this whole thing was going off. And they made this movie, and... They got wind of it at Griffin Bike Park, and they're like, oh, yeah, we want to use this. And so I get to dedicate Recon Trail to 4th of the 227. Like, the unit I was in for this, like, I get to dedicate this trail that I built, not for them, but I just built it, and it came full circle. Hey, we want you to you know, do this for this unit. And it was, uh, I still don't really know how to do that. Like, it's a, it's like this great honor, right? You know, I'm just this nobody, really, you know, out of a battalion. You know, a lot of people know me, but, you know, I get to have this honor of honoring everybody that I served with in this unit with this trail that I built. And it's pretty awesome trail. And I'm, I'm super excited about that, man. It's, it's a, it's pretty awesome. Things have a lot of things have come full circle here recently, and um, it's my like approach to things. Instead of you know taking the pills, I kicked all that, you know, and got my life straight. And things are going good. Like it, it things are really happening. And it's I don't want to ride this wave until it you know it's good until it's not type thing. You know? <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, we we've hit a lot of topics. Here. Anything else that? Tyson or Jeremiah, you want to hit him before we call Dave, it a wrap? Dave talks plenty for both of us. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I got just, more, man. Like, I just have the iceberg. Save it for another podcast. Come <laughs> uh, back anytime. Yeah. Anytime. No, so just kind of what I hate this term, and I'm going to say it, but I, you already probably know where I'm. The caveat off what Dave was saying, <laughs> that's like the worst phrase in military history. Because like, that means the first sergeant has a long speech when oh, you're yeah. trying to get out of formation at uh -huh. the end of the day. Yeah. But no, this this bigger picture thing, is it's it's not our plan. And, you know, we talk spirituality, spirituality you know, go. quite a bit on these podcasts, and especially with Chris. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe it's not your plan, you know. You're you're involved in the plan. You are an active key player in it, but it's maybe it's God's plan of how this timing works out and the 
people you meet at the right time at the right place, it's not your plan. I've, I've come to realize that uh, there are so many things out of my control that, you know, no matter what I did, probably wasn't going to change the circumstance. Uh, but somebody was put in the right place at the right time to make progress or not make progress, but it turns out to be the right, wrong direction, you know. So, you know, it's sit back and watch because you're not in control. Perfect. There we have it, folks. Thank you, all three of you, for participating. And this is a very nice podcast. And it's, it's midnight. We hit two hours and ten minutes. It's time for bed. I yeah, agree. Uh, I agree with that. Agree uh, with good that. night, everybody. Thanks for having us night. on again and You're very letting welcome. us. Yeah, thank you very much. All of us share our stories, and I'm sure with these two, there's there's going to be a lot more to come um, from both the fall and just Dave talking for hours on end. <laughs> so uh, he's definitely another one that has a way of words, and we appreciate everything he's done from you know from his military standpoint, and you know we're honored to be able to honor him with a bow that he broke. We're gonna. Th- Make sure everybody knows he already broke it. So this is why we can't have nice things. That's why you can't have nice things, Dave. But uh, yeah, and it's all it's all gonna be good until it's not. So <laughs> thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you again. I'm sure. Yeah, very. You guys are very welcome.